Oh, welcome back, everybody. We are super excited to uh, be here for the Surf and Sales podcast um, with a really fun and uh, interesting guest. We were chatting offline real quick, and we were all like, wait, we should be recording this stuff. This is <laughs> I already hard. feel like I've had two cocktails and I've had none. <laughs> yes, totally agree. Um, That's the sign of a, of a, a very warm, friendly person that I want to hang out with. Totally. We've, we've, we've not even begun and I already feel drunk. How's that even possible? I haven't even <laughs> yeah. had a drink yet. Yeah. So aside from Scott's drinking problem, uh, which we don't mean to make fun of. Problem uh, is I don't have one. Uh, thank you, Jen Allen, for being here. Jen is the chief evangelist at Challenger, which I know is super interesting. She's also the host of uh, Winning the Challenger Sale podcast. And she's a keynote speaker, which Scott and I are going to ask about too. But Jen, um, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're excited to, to dive in with you. Um, just from a, from a, uh, a future, or from a perspective of letting people know where you came from. Um, oh, by the way, we have to add one more title, which is officially a new ferret owner. <laughs> Went out and bought a ferret this weekend. Um, we're going to get into that sales process with our kids too. But for context, like what's your background? So everybody, like anybody in sales, particularly probably in our audiences, knows Challenger. What's your background way before that? Were you, did you sell your parents on buying you a fair? I didn't sell my parents on anything. And like 99.999% of people I'm sure you talk to, sales was never on my career goals. Um, I actually fell into it. I was at Penn State. I was doing a job after Penn State where I was managing final four and bowl game travel because I thought in my head I wanted to do sports event management realized very quickly that gets you in the bus parking lot with a clipboard and not in the actual game. And so I was just looking for an out. My friend worked at CEB. She was like, look, there's a ton of smart, good looking, fun people here. Come work here and you'll figure out after a while what it is. And that's truly what happened. So I started into an account management role. And then over the past 18 years, I've just been a sales IC lifer. Like I've never wanted to be a sales leader, never wanted to be a sales manager. I always found that there were so many different paths I could take in sales even within the same company, that sales just never got boring to me. It was always a challenge to me. And so up until January of this year, that's exactly what I did. A lot of new logo, started my career in account management, but spent most of it in new logo. And then last year, just kind of realized like, hey, there's something here with speaking in the places where my customers go to learn. Um, and that's kind of how the evangelist role came about. Before we, before we dive into some of this stuff, and I know Scott was all excited about the sports piece, and then, and then you gave them the reality of like, you're standing in the parking lot, you know, you know, doing stuff. What was, um, shit, I forgot my question. Cause I was trying to make fun of Scott. <laughs> Scott, I just teed you up. Instant now you got it. Great. Thanks uh, so much. I want to, I, I want to know, know what about it was. This. I know what it was. Were you, and I'm asking this cause we're doing a, a separate show. Were you a seven figure AE, you were in it for 18 years. Could you make a million dollars? Because it's a big difference between making two and 300 and a million. I never made a million dollars. Never once. No. Can you share how close you got? The best year I ever had, I made 600. Well, a little over 600, but in the 600 key range. Okay. We could dive into that too. So Scott, where do you want to go now? Where do you well, want to go? I, I want to talk about this starting point of account management customer service and then moving into sales because the opposite happens more often. The old traditional way is we take somebody who's okay at selling, not super amazing at it, and we repurpose them into account management. 
And all of a sudden they're pretty good in that role. It's not as common to find somebody who's really good in, as an AM and is like, you know what? I really just want to go sell. So how did that come about? Yeah, look, I'd love to say there was like this well-engineered plan and I always had this vision board of what I was going to do. It was just account management was the job I was offered. And then the account management role changed a little bit. At first, it was just renewing accounts. And then after a couple of years, they did it where you then had to upsell and cross-sell other programs at CEB. And I remember I was out in the suburbs of Chicago where I live now. I was sitting in an account day meeting where I had a combination of meetings with existing customers I was trying to get for renewals or service consumption. And then I had um, some meetings that were new logo opportunities at that same account. And I remember sitting at this table in their lobby, looking at my schedule for the day, and I was dreading the account management meetings. I was just like, I know I can mail these in. This is I'm going to come out of it. I'm going to have all this work. And then I looked at my new logo meetings and I was like, this is what I'm excited for. Like, I want to change these people's perceptions around how they look at their function. And there was such a thrill to that. And two days later, I talked to my manager. I said, I think I'm over the account management thing. I really want to try this new logo thing. But I was scared shitless of it because every year in account management, somebody's going to renew. You never end the year at zero. But I think that's largely what drove me as I was really hungry for a different challenge. And did you just naturally sell in this? way that became the challenger way or did your selling style evolve? I was a hundred percent a relationship builder. Like I remember the first time I heard challenger presented by Brent Adamson and he was like, here are the five profiles and raise your hand if you identify with this one. And I threw my hand up because I was so sure relationship builders were going to be the winner. And it was a slap in the face. The fortunate thing for me is that came out 2009. That was exactly when relationship building stopped working for me. So it was this really interesting thing where the market was telling me, yo, this doesn't work. And then I had this research over here being like, yeah, it doesn't work, but I wasn't a natural challenge. I'm not a natural one. But so let's go back to your childhood, right? Would, if your parents understood the basic concepts of account management versus sales, and maybe they do, I have no idea. Would they say that, oh yeah, she's, she's much more of a relationship person or would they be like, no, she challenges everything. Nope. They would be, they would have been like a hundred percent. She's a relationship builder. It was core to my life. It was core to like, you know, I I went to a really small school, so it's kind of like, you know, not an impressive thing, but I was class president. I was homecoming queen. I was all these things because I knew that building relationships with people could help me get me farther. And so it was so core to my being. That's why I think account management was attractive to me. So now tell me, how does that relate to becoming into moving into this, I don't know if you would call yourself a challenger now in the definition of the of the method, right? But how do you take those two pieces? Because for me, I always felt like challenger and still feel like it's, you know, you have to build the relationship, but it doesn't have to be quite so schmoozy as I hear about relationship selling and stuff like that. But did it, how did you make the connection? How did you go, oh, here's what I was doing in account management. And now when I understand it from this challenger point of view or, or doing things, they're actually, are they kind of the same thing? You know, the opposite sides of the same coin kind of a thing? Such a good question. And this is why, like, this is why I love the path that I had, because what I realized is it wasn't my personal relationships with the client that made me a great account manager. It was that I was absolutely driven by figuring out something the client hadn't seen 
and teaching that to them and helping them take a different perspective. Like if someone just nodded their head to me in a meeting and was like, yeah, that's our issue. That felt disappointing. Someone leaned back and was like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Like that to me was the thrill. And so in account management, it taught me a ton of acumen. And this is the big issue I take with a lot of sales onboarding programs is they're just like, here's the product, go learn it, go talk about it. But account management was truly a lesson in customer acumen. And so I felt like I could then take that and build relationships with people that didn't have to take my call unlike existing customers by showing them something that maybe, maybe they missed in their business. But I think what I interpreted Challenger as being in the beginning, I got it really, really wrong because I thought it was just go tell everybody everything they don't know, show them how much smarter you are than them. And that is a great way to never get a second call. Really great way if anyone's looking for that. I think there's a lot of misperceptions around that too. Like that's, you know, and granted, you know, we're, we're frenemies, right? Like I would always <laughs> think someone, like I never speak badly of like, hey, if you want Challenger, go for it. It's a bigger program than what I do and all that kind of stuff. Like that's all cool. Um but I do think that that point, probably because so many sales reps were trying to figure it out, we tried to see it as transactional, that you use this this challenger methodology as transactional without bringing that humanity piece in there, which I know was not the intent or purpose. But I think as salespeople, we just think we know it anyway. So like, yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny, like for a while, and there's something here to being provocative, right? Like the name challenger, I think conjures up all these images of like this, a really aggressive in your face, extroverted person. When in fact, I think most of the really good challengers I know sit back, they listen, then they throw their hand up. They ask a question that completely bombs the conversation. Like that to me is what challenger is, but regardless of what you are, relationships are always going to be an essential currency in sale. You cannot make a sale if someone doesn't trust you or want to talk to you. Maybe you can, but I don't think it's very easy to do that. And so it's just how I would build relationships. I wasn't building it on being like the really nice person who would take a call at 7 a.m. or 6 p.m. because that's what's convenient to you, but actually going in and offering something of value that got that customer to say, all right, I do want to spend more time with her. Not because she's nice, but because I think she's got something valuable to say. Who do you think is more of a challenger seller, me or Richard? Oh my gosh. You're both, you probably don't want me to say this, but you're both challengers. Like I look at both of your content and you are constantly looking at conventional wisdom and hitting the explode button in a way that doesn't make people so, hate you. I, and that's the thing. Wait, wait, wait. I have a, I have a better that question. might be the best description of me as a human. I <laughs> yes. Hits the explode button in a way that people don't hate you. So here's, here's the funny thing, Scott, I was thinking about this last week. I haven't even asked you. A couple of years ago, we did an event and we asked someone to describe our personalities. And Scott looked kind of like he does now with his beard and long hair. And I, you know, a little more polished, I guess, might be the right word. Um, and we so said, we well, what are there. our personalities? And they they said, you know, you know, Scott looks like fuck you and Richard looks like let's be friends. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing. If people really know us, Richard is way more the fuck you guy. <laughs> And Scott's the let's be friends. <laughs> I didn't even do- it didn't even dawn on me till like two weeks ago. I don't even know why, Scott. I've been meaning to ask you about it. So, so wait, try try to articulate this because I don't know how to articulate. Okay. So you're saying like Richard and I are both challengers, and we hit this explode button, which is the best phrase ever. But do it in a way that doesn't piss people off. Like, how do you teach somebody how to do that? I find it very difficult. When people ask me, how do you do that? I don't, I can't find the words for it. So maybe you can help. Yeah, I think it is, it is challenging to convey it in the right way, because I think the misinterpretation people get is 
take Scott, Richard, who have years and years of experience and people just, you know, people trust and you can say these things and they try to mimic it when they haven't earned the right. So I think step one is forget about what you sell, forget about your solution, forget about the ROI, forget about all that shit. And you first and foremost have to understand deeply the space that you're selling into. Like sales is a really, really provocative place. People have really long held opinions. They fight tooth and nail to hold them. If you just go out and tell someone you're wrong for doing that, it's a great way to get people to ignore you or put up their defenses. And we just don't win those conversations often, right? When the customer's right and we're wrong, it's just, we're not going to, we're not going to win that. Um, but I think one is having deep understanding of the customer space that you sell into. So I, I feel very passionate that I could deeply understand sales leaders and the trade-offs that they make. Um, and that should come before any training on the product. Two is the tonality. I think this is the place I messed up a lot in the beginning. This is the place I see more people mess up. Like you guys have earned the right to be able to just say it and say it direct. And you've got a large following and people buy into it. If I'm a newer SDR or newer AE, I probably have to take a far more curious and and empathetic tone. So instead of saying like, you think that negotiation is the end all be all of what makes a sales rep, we could say it differently. Like, you know, ever since the beginning of time, we've been taught that great sellers are great closers, but there's something along the way that changed and that we missed. And we were surprised by it, but here's what we've learned. And you make it a we journey instead of, hey, you're this loser that missed out on this big thing and I know it and you don't. It's like, I think a lot of the language choices we have do so much to the message, even more so than the message itself. I completely, what you just said was about language choices. So for me, so important. Like I, you know, my phrase is I teach reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when, right? And it's that how-to piece, right? That really matters. Um, And I I really love that. And so now I need to send you a earn the right t-shirt since I have that used it so many times. Uh, you well, she did her research and she knows that's your did you do just, phrase. Did you do any research, Jen? I went in blind to this. I broke my rule of thumb and I went in blind because I didn't want to seem like I was kissing any Even ass. better. All right. <laughs> See how much more fun it is? She got it's lucky. Way more fun. Yeah, she got lucky. <laughs> people, people ask people ask us to get on webinars and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do prep calls. This is why I've never been on the Challenger podcast is because there's like a seven page thesis that is required in order to even get on the show. That is not true. You know that it's me reading content and being like, oh, I like them. They're provocative. Come on. I must be thinking about a different show. We we have to understand how important they think they are, Scott. And until we do that, we're not allowed on the podcast. Yeah. Well, pro tip, if you want me to be on your show, don't ask me to write a fucking essay in order to get on the show because it's not happening. Agreed. You mentioned you mentioned something about um, earning the right to kind of say certain things, do certain things. I want to know how one earns the right to be called a keynote speaker. First of all, you can write whatever the hell you want in your LinkedIn profile, which is the beauty of what we're doing. Yes. Well, we've seen we've seen that every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Advisor. Um, I think that I trademarked my name allegedly. Oh, no, I think for me, it was it was more of just I was being invited. I was already doing the job. And then I realized people when I was talking to them were like, I don't know if you would ever be up for this or not, but we're having this SKO and we'd love for you to come talk. And I'm like, how many people are sitting there not asking me because they don't think I do it? 
So for me, it was as simple as that, but I was already doing the job, which has been a fundamental philosophy for me throughout my entire tenure is like, don't say you do something until you've got evidence and proof points that you've done it before. I'm a huge believer in this. I, I, one of the checkpoints in this course that I, that I just came out with is called credible mentor. And one of the key points in terms of figuring out whether you're ready or not is are people coming to you asking for this thing? So if one wants to be a keynote speaker, it's my opinion that one doesn't just go out there and be like, I want to be a keynote speaker and start (laughs) messaging everybody to try to speak. Once I start getting asked and invited to speak at these things, then I'd be like, oh shit, maybe I'm a keynote speaker. Yeah, but I'm going to call bullshit on you, Scott, because I know you that if if I had told you three years ago, you're never going to be a keynote speaker. You'd have figured out a way to make it happen. That's different. You've suddenly challenged me. Yes. And, and, and told me I can't do something. So now yeah. I want, just want to go prove you wrong. That <laughs> right. changes the nature of the game entirely, though. Is there a chapter in your new course in that? No. That, that, <laughs> that chapter is called Scott's uh, Sicilian Ancestry. That's the name of that <laughs> chapter right there. That's I think we've called. taken over too much of this show from Jen. Um, <laughs> so, so, talk, so, but again, so... But how do you value yourself? And I, I mean, like pricing, like someone says, hey, come do this keynote for an hour, right? Like we yeah. all know people get paid 5000 10000 $20,000 for this. And maybe you are, which I fucking amazing. I want that book. Um, she gets paid I, more than that. She's just keeping it yeah, sealed. Yeah. How do you figure out? How do you value? How do you value your time and your energy and your effort like that? This is very hard for people who are solopreneurs or, you know, creators and what have you, what's your strategy there? Yeah. So here's the tricky part, right? I work for Challenger. My keynotes are Challenger related. I am not a solopreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur, though, like the conversation really intrigues me. So I have the benefit of having a testing ground, right? Like we have a service offering of which one of them is a keynote, but I will tell you there are plenty of keynotes. I probably shouldn't say this, but there are plenty of keynotes I don't charge for. Because I think with selling what I sell, which is a sales methodology, so much of what prevents people from picking anything at all, forget challenger, whatever it is, is just the fear that your salespeople are going to reject it. And so to me, one of my core roles as an evangelist for challenger is to actually help people experience it, feel it, see what it's like, and then be able to look to the sales team and say, did you love that? Or did you hate it? Do you want more of it? Or do you want none of it? And I think to me, that's a big part of risk mitigation and selling what I sell is just to be able to go out there and be like, let's just have a conversation about it. So I'll often do it as part of the sales process, instead of trying to sell a keynote, just so that we can then go and sell something later. If I were to leave Challenger, Honestly, that would be really tough for me to figure out. I think most of us undervalue ourselves. Um, I certainly struggle with it all the time, but in my current position, I don't have to deal with it. But why would your but why would your value decrease just because you're not talking challenger? It's a it's a perception thing, right? It's like it is my perception of my value. If I have challenger here, I'm like, I know people ch- pay for that. I know people want that, and I think it's I've a got safety, is a safety net in a way. It is. It is. It's a very challenger is a safety net because then they're buying into to challenger and not buying into Jen, the human. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I mean, this also to me feels like the, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, imposter syndrome piece, right? Yes. Like we all have it, right? Like yes. here you are, you've been, people don't know, you've been a challenger for 14 years, right? 15 18 years? all in. 18 so, all in, yep. which is a long time. And the credibility you have, I think, in the marketplace is amazing. 
you know, like, and, and, and I'll, and I'll throw out the obvious too, is that, Hey, you've been at the most, one of the most successful, if not the most successful, most recent sales organizations. You didn't come from a traditional sales background. And on top of it, you're a woman, which I think like people need to see and hear that from you. And so I think your credibility is way higher than maybe you're feeling. So, um, you know, if you ever take that leap, go back and rewind and listen to this. Well, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, that is the internal monologue that I have. And I think there's two ends of the spectrum, right? There's the person who's been doing it for two months that thinks they're an expert. And there's the person who's been doing it forever, who still doubts, you know, whether they have something to say. And I think finding that happy medium, I think I've made progress over time, but I think the, I think in sales in particular, like we just, we can never really become experts. It just changes way too much to become an expert. And so I think one of the things I admire about people like you, about other people I follow that I really learn from a lot is they never seem to have said like, I figured it all out. And so to me, that's always been really important in my career is just constantly be like demonstrating that I'm learning, that I'm screwing up in the moment. Well, I think every time somebody like you doesn't take one of these opportunities, you allow somebody without the credibility to get paid for doing one and you're feeding the animals and don't feed the animals should be your mantra. Ooh, I've never thought about it like that. What did yeah. I say? I like hearing in the beginning. Never <laughs> thought about it like that before. See, you challenged me. <laughs> so Explode I wanna, button. Yeah, the, that's what I was like. I was like, what was the button, right? <laughs> well, the explode button. In fact, by the way, you should go, um, Jennifer, that might be your you know, some catchphrase of yours one day is the explode button. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You, you said it first. We can't take it. So uh, yeah. I want to I want to shift because pre-call you were telling us that this weekend you became a new ferret parent. And I was asking, what was the sales process like of your kids? How old are the kids? If you're if you're willing to go there Absolutely. and tell us, like, did they use a challenger methodology on you? Which, by the way, is really just. Can I have it? 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 Where can I get it? Can we go get it today? How about today? How about tomorrow? How about next week? What about next week? What about next week? But anyway, so sounds like a zoom info sales? rep. <laughs> <laughs> what was their sales process to mom? Okay, first of all, our kids, so they're four four kids, they're my stepkids, but I talk with them like they're my kids. Um, none of them have ever listened to anything I've ever said. So none of this is because they shadow me or they've learned challenges. This is all they're just really badass kids. So I'm sitting on the couch. I'm watching Love is Blind after the altar. I am just in my Zen mode, not looking to be sold to. And Ryan, our 14-year-old daughter, um, was working on something for hours at the table on her computer. She wouldn't tell me what it was. When the boys get home from baseball, she comes in, she turns on the Apple TV screen share and she puts up a picture of a ferret. And she was like, I'd like to have your attention for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Oh my God. Ryan is like Richard's children. Yes. My, by okay, the way, keep Jennifer, going. Keep going. Quick, my son did this at like the age of 10 to put on a PowerPoint of why he should be allowed to watch a Deadpool. <laughs> you got to give it to him. Yeah. So we're sitting, I'm laying there. Like this is again, not like a buying circumstance. Sitting there, she then goes through a 23-page PowerPoint 
on why we should let her buy a ferret. Now, as soon as the the question came up on her second slide, which is, this is why I want to buy a ferret. I immediately start thinking of all the objections I have, like who's going to watch this when we're both traveling, you know, if this thing going to stink or my dog's going to try to kill it. Like all of these things are going through my mind and I could, I'm just sitting there being like, I'll be polite. I'll wait till the end and then I'll blow up this idea. And she's going through, but what's ultimately happening, the explode button, what's happening is she's, she's, she's phrasing my questions before I could ask them. Like she nailed the, like prevent the objection, don't overcome it. So I'm sitting there thinking like, she has no idea how much all of the supplies cost. And she goes, I'm sure you're probably thinking, I haven't done enough research on how much everything that goes along with the ferret costs. And then she puts up a slide and it has, I mean, everything oh. down to nail clippers, toothbrush. Hired. She's hired. Hired. Totally. And I was just sitting there and then she's done like a total cost of ownership. She's done a schedule. She's done a, I know you're probably worried about this. And then she gets to the end. She goes, do you have any questions? And I just sat there. I was like, I, I did until you blew them all out. And instead of me having to be like, Ryan, you didn't think of this. You haven't earned the right. Nick and I looked at each other and we were like, I mean, okay. And then two hours later, they walked in the house with a ferret. Like, I was not in the mode to buy a ferret. Oh, I did. This was I had an instant guys. purchase. This wasn't, yeah. let me, wow. Because usually mine's like, okay, let me go think about it overnight. I need to sleep it, on it. it. We were like, this is such amazing behavior. We want to reward it. But then I was like, all right, Ryan, we've got a dinner. It was one of our friends' 40th birthday. I was like, we can go tomorrow and get it. And then she was like, here's all the reasons tomorrow is not going to work. And here's the reasons why today is <laughs> I, gotta hear. I was like, what is oh God? I mean, it was wow. wild. It was you, so, like, so good. By the way, just so you know, Jen, um, I think you need to make her be the keynote. Like, I know. The best I know. I've already got her on one podcast. Heard. Someone, I wrote this story on LinkedIn. And some guy reached out and was like, can I have your daughter on my podcast? I was like, absolutely. Yes. I'll, we'll put her on. Scott, you want to put her on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's better than 99% of salespeople already. <laughs> right. She's so already in the 1%. Can, she... we talk, can, we, can I pivot out of the ferret conversation? <laughs> Where we want. Rodent, rodents make me awkward. Okay. Uh, I want to know more about this evangelism role and topic. What does the role mean to you in terms of what you're supposed to deliver as the evangelizer? And how do you feel about the rise of this role? Mm, Such a good question. So to me, and this is an important part, I'm glad you asked it that way because there's a lot of different flavors of evangelism. To me, the business problem I'm solving for here at Challenger is Tons of people know the challenger sale. Some hate it, some love it, some are indifferent about it. Like 1% of those people know that Challenger Inc. exists or believe that they need any sort of partner to train their people to be challengers. Like one of our biggest competitors is frankly just people handing out the book and being like, we did a presentation on at our national sales meeting. Like we're good. We trained our people on challenger. Oh my God. Right. You know, that's thousand dollars not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that's our business problem. To me, evangelism is about pulling out those people who've always been on the fence or kind of curious and giving them a face, a safer place to go and learn about it. Because what I will tell you is when I started writing more content on LinkedIn and doing podcasts, these senior salespeople at big ass companies would peek in and they'd be like, Hey, can I get a, a few minutes of your time to talk about this? And I was like, sure, but you know, there's a link where you can, you know, set up a call and talk to your person. And what they would say is like, I know that, but I don't want to be sold to. I want to have a conversation with someone who's going to help me look at this in five different ways that isn't trying to sell me something regardless of what I say. And as soon as that happened, 
I was like, we've got to formalize this. There are far too many people who don't want to be thrown into a sales pitch, but could be converted if they just have an honest conversation. So that's my goal. But I think moving forward, I'm, I'm hell bent on this. I don't think chief evangelists are ever going to be a mainstream title. The title just sucks. I hate it. I hate it. It's just, it is the job. Oh what I do my gosh, think you hate are, the title. Okay. I hate it. I hate it. But I do think it is symbolic of what all sellers are going to need to do because as more customers learn on their own, as more of them don't want to engage with a salesperson, we have to bring more to the table than just here's what my product does. And I think that's what the core of evangelism is. It's helping customers with context. It's helping customers make sense of things. So I think it's the, 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 the job itself will merge into to what a great seller is. I think right now it's just kind of like a North Star. Here's what it, here's what good looks like. So will the job go away or will the title just change? I think the job will go away. I, so I this, is a, this is a small window of opportunity for certain people to take advantage of. I, I, I personally believe it. I just think the title is so icky. It's like never going to go. So how do you, how do you, this is what you and I do. How do we teach the salespeople and how do we redefine the experience so that people don't feel like they're talking to a salesperson? So for example, I, I have specifically been saying there's no such thing as you know, a buyer's journey. There's a seller's journey and we try to shove the buyer through it. What the buyer is having is a buyer's experience, right? There's a buyer experience versus the seller's journey. To me, that turns into, well, that just means I've got a shitty process. If people are trying to avoid salespeople, aside from all the jokes and all that stuff, yeah. what do we also need to teach our salespeople how to be better? So for me, I think, and and I think there's a belief system that's like, oh, this just comes with time. I think that's a lazy, lazy approach. I think it starts with when a salesperson is hired into an organization. If you train people immediately on what your product does, you have to expect that that's naturally what they're going to talk about with customers because that's what they feel confident about. If you first and foremost start with like, and I remember, I didn't even know what B2B meant when I first started selling. Oh. Like you first and foremost, right? Like you've got to be like, here's why a sales leader can get by every single freaking day without what we sell, right? And here's all the things that they make excuses for as to why they don't need this. And you've got to understand them. You've got to be able to, to relate to those things because if you don't, you're going to sound like someone who has no credibility. You're going to I'm ROI. If you buy that, they're going to sit there and say, right, but there's everybody who comes in my office says that. And so I think training people early on to understand not all the reasons why they should buy your product, but what are all the reasons that they don't? What are all the things they do instead of using your product so that you can really come to that conversation with an informed perspective as opposed to a product pitch? Like that's the, obviously I've harped on this a couple of times, but like, that's the big one for me is what we teach sellers early in their career. Do you teach, does that work though? Do you feel like your sales reps at Challenger understand just how to have a conversation in general that's not even challenge? I mean, it is challenger-ish, right? Like you have to ask questions in the right tone. You were talking about earlier about tonality and those kinds mm -hmm. of things. Like if I started a Challenger tomorrow, how soon would you guys throw me into product training? Yeah, um, you'd be in product training sooner than I would like you to be. Like a big part of... <laughs> And I'm very honest, yeah. a big part of my job this year as well, because I don't have my name on a book, like 
Nobody knew who I was. It wasn't like people are banging down my door as an evangelist this year. So 50% of my time, I said, I'm going to spend internally like evangelizing challenger with challenger employees and, and shining a light on places where we kind of get this wrong with our customers. And so what I love sit here and love to say, like we get it right hundred percent of the time. I'd love to say that that's not the reality. Like right before this, I was training our group on how do you facilitate a group meeting in a way where you are not telling people you're wrong and this is right, but actually prompting them to be able to disagree with each other and facilitate that conversation. Like that's a hard, it's a hard job. Like that's I think the best part of sales. It, it is. And, and when you master it, it's like, it's so freaking fun. Like sales. And you don't have fun. to do much work once you figure it out. Yes. That's the, well, best, that's part. the best part. That's the, the <laughs> best part is when you don't have to do work. Right. So yes, um, I forgot Scott was here. I've been dominating the conversation. with <laughs> Just, I'm just, I'm just hiding, hanging out, hiding out, you know, go for it, Scott. I'll shut up now. <laughs> oh, he got me discombobulated now. Richard lost my, my job. lost my train of train of thought. Um, so you talked to earlier about how you got into content creation, brand building. This is a little bit of a newer thing for you. What's some of the strangest parts of it that you didn't expect? And there's a lot of strange parts of it. And by the way, you, you maybe haven't experienced all of them yet, but more are coming. So what's been, what's been some of the weird stuff? That you've been experiencing? I would say as someone who identifies as a relationship builder, the hardest thing for me is, and I'm nowhere near like you guys, I, I, my follower account is nowhere near that. So you're right. There's probably a lot more stuff to come, but as I'm building, one of the things that's been difficult for me is I feel badly. Like I went through a phase where I'm like, I have to respond to every comment. I have to respond to every message because people are going to think I'm an asshole if I don't. And that's the yeah. relationship builder in me. Right. And that becomes very quickly a really shitty use of my time, right? Because then I'm just responding and doing niceties and trying to check boxes instead of doing the things I need to. So for me, the hardest thing has been figuring that out and finding a balance that I'm comfortable with. I'll say the strangest thing is I have not had a ton of experiences with trolls, but I have had one repeat offender who just hates me. He hates me so much. And it That's weirdly- I realized that another guy I had on the show, he hates him too. So we we were both saying like, hey, we had our first experience with a troll. And then we were like, dude, it's the same guy. Of course, he doesn't have a picture. Um, and just getting comfortable with someone being an absolute asshole to me and just taking it. Again, that's just against my natural relationship. Well, two, 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 two things I, I would say. First of all, you don't have to sit there and take it. You are 100% within your right to just block somebody's ass, okay? You, I'm sure you know that, but I'm just gonna remind you that you don't have to just sit there and take it. You can delete comments, you can block somebody, you can do all that kind of stuff. Um, and the trolls will come, they'll be fast and furious. And <laughs> it won't. At some point, it won't matter what you say, somebody's gonna be a, an asshole about it anyways. I joke all the time and say, I could go write a post right now that says I'm giving everybody here a million dollars and somebody would lose their mind because they have to pay taxes on it. And <laughs> me. You should write that post, Scott. You haven't, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I, <laughs> I probably did a, a while ago in one of my more grouchy uh, moments for sure. On the, um, on the follower count part and responding to everything, how are you solving for that? You said so, you're trying to you're trying to find the balance or you found the balance. So what what is your 
solution to that so far? It's not a perfect solution. Um, a lot of times for me, one of the big things I've done differently that started last month is turning off my notifications um, on my phone, which sounds yeah. so simple, but every time I saw it pop, I'm one of those people that hates red on my phone. So turning it off Damn. and then just batch checking, right? Are like, you a zero Damn. inbox person? Yes. Yeah, okay. me too. Same. Yeah, if we're all that wired that way. Yes. Okay. So it's just like a to-do list that that grows. So if I don't have the button on, that helps a lot. And then I'll batch it, right? So then I'll get a bunch of comments. And then honestly, one of the things that I found is that sometimes when I don't respond to comments, other people respond to each other and it starts a better conversation. And had I responded, maybe that wouldn't have happened. So it's actually been a good thing, I think, for organic engagement within a post. Um, And then I always try to react, like I'll give it a like, a love, a whatever insight, Um, and I've told myself like, that's enough. Like people don't need to see you responding to everything. I do try to stay on top of my DMS, but I've also given myself more leniency to say, I'm not carrying cancer here. If I get back to someone in two days, three days, four days, like it's fine. Um, so it's just baby steps, but it's been at least more helpful for feeling. I have a lot of Catholic, I have a lot of Catholic guilt around not replying to people in three or four days. I have that problem too. So yeah, I'm Jewish. I get it. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, so I, so it's interesting. I'm gonna. So I have a different take. Scott knows this about me on the trolls, right? Um, Scott's like Scott <laughs> already exhausted by what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I'm taking a screenshot of Scott's face, and we're gonna start thinking about <laughs> there's like memes for people. But um, <sighs> so one, I part of it is I kind of want the other people to see the idiocy of it, right? Like, like, and I don't necessarily need to call them out. I always just sort of say, hey. You know, thanks so much. Appreciate a different opinion. It makes me think. Good luck. You know, um, or then I'll you know hashtag it. Bless your heart. Which is sort of my fuck you. Kind of <laughs> so, um, but to Scott's point, like if it's too negative, too much, it can really start to mess with you a lot. So, um, but I, I think that's my piece. And I, I like the fact you turned off the notifications. I have the same issue though of like I have to I have to respond to everybody. Like, yeah, you love to engage and argue with these people. You but not even the troll. Like even if someone live for it. Like I'm just like, but I think I've just bought into this SEO of LinkedIn and this is my business and I'm solopreneur and I've got a, this is my advertising and like you know that piece, which is I think is different for you, Jennifer. So for sure. You have a big company behind you. For now. For now. Yeah. Till next week. But um <laughs> So anyways, I, I think that's great. I we I want to shift this sooner than we normally do because uh, I feel like it's going to be a fun conversation to what questions you have for us. Um, first, we want to just give a shout out to our sponsors of Cento, so Scratchpad, Outreach, and MedRep. What is it? MedRep Meeting? MedRep Meeting. MedRep Meeting. Um, but we always love to flip it. So, and by the way, I just looked on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, there's a great picture of you with Ernesto, the new ferret. So people should check it out. It's very cute. <laughs> um, that's Ryan. That's Ryan in, in the ferret. Oh, that's Ryan. Oh, okay. So um, what questions do you have for us? What can, how can we, you, I mean, you I'm, so much I'm dying to know both of your opinions on evangelism. Cause I would look at you both and say, you are evangelists to me, whether or not you have the title, the, the things that you do, how you engage show up like that. But I would almost throw back the question you asked me, like, what do you think of the title? What do you think of the future of it? Do you think it's ever going to become mainstream? What's your take on it? Do you want to go? I, my response is that um, in, in my world, I don't like to put the title on myself because I think it, as a solopreneur, it makes me look pompous, right? Now, you know, Salesforce will mention us or somebody will put us on a, on a list. 
And I'm okay with that because then it's someone else saying it's kind of that whole thing of like, nobody's going to sell better for me than my own customers. Right. So I don't, you know, I'll talk about the pains I saw, but you should really talk to so-and-so kind of a thing. So um, I think it's a cool title. Um, I, I've been hearing it for 10 plus years because I was in a, a different phase of startups. Um, I, I do like what you were saying is that you're having to evangelize externally and internally. And I think so many people think it's really evangelizing externally when in fact it's not. It's probably like 80% evangelizing internally. So people will understand what's going on externally because they don't get it, you know, and, and maybe they're not supposed to get it. That's okay. Um, but anyway, that's my opinion of it. So I don't, I don't mind it so much. I think it's going to last longer than you do. I'm, I'm not disagreeing that sales reps and even sales leaders to some extent have to mirror and mimic some of those um, skill sets and attributes and ways they go about getting deals done and all that kind of thing. But I think it's here and I think it's not going to go away. And let me tell you why. And I, John Barrows had me on his show, I don't know, six months or so ago. And they clipped it because I went on this rant about like <laughs> why people would be an idiot to not hire a chief evangelist. And now I'll tell a story. I have generated nearly $1 million in pipeline for a very big, well-known B2B SaaS company this year. They will end up paying me 10 to 15%. So call it hundred dollars to $150,000 in affiliate, like whatever. If they were smart, they could have just hired me probably for 50K for the year and said to me, Hey, uh, we'll pay you five, $4,000, $5,000 a month. Just like talk nice about us in your conversations when people ask. And I probably would have this going back a year ago. I probably would have been like, okay, great. <laughs> Instead I'm getting paid two to three X. Now what I should do is have four or five of those different companies that I generate a million dollars of pipeline for at a time. And I will make potentially four, 500K in referral fees and affiliates off of all this stuff. Now, I'm not big enough or popular enough in order to be able to pull all of that off, but there are those people out there who are. There's people with three and five X my size following, even more interesting is people who have a following, but it's a really, really powerfully engaged following, right? Like you could have a hundred thousand followers who don't really do shit for you, or you could have a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand followers who will move mountains for you. So there's those people who can be evangelized, who are also running communities, who have people, you know, leaning on them for support and, career advice and all this kind of stuff. And those people end up in roles and their careers go on. So you think these people that I referred XYZ company to, and if they had a good experience, you think they're not going to come back to me and say, Hey, you helped us out buying this one thing. What would you buy for this other thing? I think it's a really interesting moment in time where people could get these evangelists, the right evangelists for, really inexpensive costs. 
And what I said to John, what I said in the podcast with John was like, are you telling me that if some big, huge company paid John 500 grand this year, that John couldn't generate one to 1.5 million in pipeline to have a three to one ratio? Because that's all we fucking ask of SDRs is to have like a two or three to one ratio. You telling me that Jen can't generate that in pipeline or Richard or Scott with any kind of focused effort. So I have a different take than you. And the name doesn't bother me for whatever reason. I don't care what the name is. <laughs> I, I just think that the role is here to stay if done right. What I'm worried about is it's going to be bastardized by people who don't have the power and influence or the size of network required to have ultimate su success. And then it's going to ruin it for some other people. That's the part that worries me. They're going to that... change the name to the K Chief Kardashian. <laughs> the that would be totally on board then. Yes. Right. That's totally. No, and I think it. so. You brought up a really good point, which is the intersection of communities and evangelism. Like I, I do not have a community. Like I should have more of a community. It's on the laundry list of things that I would like to do, but I recognize it's a really, really hard thing to build. But I think that to me is the most powerful form of evangelist where you have a community and to your point, they are coming to you saying, Scott, what would you do? What would Scott do? What would Richard do? And then you are able, I think, to get these magnifiers where you're like, look, these people will come to me and ask because they trust me. They don't trust companies. They trust people. And that I think is the ultimate. And it's a big gap for me, yeah. candidly, in my evangelist role. But I look at like Arthur at Chili Piper. I think he's a, he just became an evangelist, you know, two months ago, but he's been doing that job forever. But yeah, I think, you know, Nick Bennett at Alice, like these people, these are people that can command, I think a really, really high price tag for what they offer because most people realize like you can't just hire for that as easily yeah. as you like to think. There, there's a lot of people, Nick Capozzi is doing this for Demostack. Zoe Hart is doing this for Speckit. Will Aiken oh. is doing this for Vidyard. Like these are fairly well-known companies. What's interesting about all these names you just mentioned, and I, I know and love all of them, they're kind of up and coming evangelists. They're the ones building brands right now who are a few years, you know, junior to people like me. These are companies not necessarily taking advantage of the people who have the most reach at the moment and paying those people a good chunk of change. So it's just interesting to me that you wouldn't want to pay somebody with like massive, massive reach and get away with it at a relatively low cost when you're not requiring them to work for you exclusively or full time or anything like that. It's wild to me. Like, why would I not pay Richard 30 grand this year to say nice about my company? By the way, speaking of paying Richard 30 grand, <laughs> my oldest son, Scott already knows this, feels like the one who taught it, who was you know pitching Deadpool. Uh, wants to put, is going to put together a PowerPoint to say why Scott owes me half his money anyway, because I taught him how to do all this stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, so, yes. And while Scott, make well, I would never ask Scott to pay that, nor would I expect him to. I actually just want to, I think Scott would even find it interesting to see the PowerPoint. Yeah. I 100% would find, I want to see Ryan's PowerPoint. I'll send it to I you. Too. Oh my God. I, have it. So. I want to, I, what if we repurpose Ryan's PowerPoint into a training for the sales community. <laughs> yeah. And then we funnel all we could funnel all of the profits. We could sell it for like a dollar. We funnel all of the profits towards Ryan and she could <laughs> she could benefit from it. Yes. Ryan, if you're listening, 
This yeah. is all Scott and Richard's idea. Yeah, we've figured out how to monetize the ferret purchase for you. <laughs> so. I love uh, look at that. You have your own delivery person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you so much for spending some time with us. This was a blast. Oh really enjoyed so it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good this luck with everything out there. This thank you, really guys. Cool. It's a blast. Yeah, yeah. I got to ping you offline about a couple of things, too. So, cool. um, I, by the way, I think we're very sincere about having Ryan on if you're comfortable with it. And we'll totally. watch the language and stuff if she's comfortable with it, too. Oh, my gosh. I would love it. And she's, you know, she's right now like she did. She did her middle school graduation speech. She blew us away. She's not the most outgoing person, but she's extremely, extremely well-spoken and very confident. And she just rises to the occasion in moments like that. So I want to give her as many of those moments as possible. Cause she just like, she just kills it. And it's like such a proud moment. So that's I'll awesome. stop going on about it. Well done. Well done as a parent to you and your husband. Thank you. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks for a fun time. Bye, Jen. Yeah. Bye.